acquisitions can go wrong when the agency downplays price but makes an award on price anyway. That's what the Air Force found out in one recent buy of professional services. We get the details from Smith Patrick McWhorter procurement attorney Joseph Petrillo. He talked with Tom Temin. This is a bid protest brought by the Bionetics Corporation and it grew out of a procurement by the Air Force of professional and technical services for the Air Force Primary Standards Laboratory, which deals with metrology, and the contractor also had to do a lot of technical writing. The evaluation was a best value trade-off. There were three factors were technical uh, approach, past performance, and price, with the technical factor being significantly more important than the other two combined. Uh, the technical evaluation included staffing approach, recruitment, training, and retention. So those were among the more important issues in the procurement. The solicitation had two features that proved important during the protest. One was a standard FAR clause used in this type of procurement called evaluation of compensation for professional employees. The second was a statement in the evaluation criteria that the Air Force would not be conducting, quote, a realism analysis of any kind, close quote. So as we've talked about in the past, price reasonableness is whether the price is too high, price realism is whether it's too low. As the procurement played out, Bionetics ended up being slightly more highly rated than the awardee, AB International Services. The Air Force determined that the differences in the technical proposals weren't worth an additional 18% higher price. So the result of that was that AB International Services won the procurement. Bionetics protested to GAO. So in other words, there was almost a tie in terms of the most important criteria. And given how close they were, then the Air Force went to the lower price. Basically, that's it. Now, what is Bionetics complaining about in GAO? Well, the crucial issue turned out to be its contention that the Air Force had not performed the evaluation of professional compensation required by the standard FAR clause. The Air Force admitted that they hadn't done that, but they said, look, the solicitation told you that we weren't going to perform a price realism evaluation. The evaluation you're complaining about is basically a price realism evaluation. So there was a patent ambiguity in the solicitation. It said two different things that were conflicting, and the rule is that you have to protest that before proposals are received. Didn't, you're untimely. GAO considered that issue and agreed with the Air Force that the protest was untimely to the extent the Bionetics was complaining that there hadn't been an evaluation of realism. So that part of the protest was dismissed. And here's where it gets a little complicated. The evaluation of compensation clause anticipates two types of evaluations. One, whether the awardee understands the contract requirements and proposes a compensation plan appropriate for those requirements, but it also requires a comparison of the proposed compensation with the incumbent contractor's compensation to assess whether there's a risk regarding personnel retention and program continuity. In other words, is the new contractor going to be paying so much less that the employees will bail and the program will be endangered? The first is an evaluation of realism in GAO's view. The second is not. Uh, second has to do with the ability to perform the contract and maintain a qualified staff. That issue was timely because it wasn't encompassed in this statement that there wasn't going to be a price realism evaluation. So the Air Force now is in trouble because they hadn't done that type of evaluation. They hadn't compared the awardee's compensation of professional employees with what the incumbent contractor 
was compensating them. And that result resulted in a sustain on the protest because the issue of personnel retention and such is very important in the evaluation criteria. We're speaking with Joseph Petrillo, a procurement attorney at Smith Pactor McWhorter. So the question then is why would the Air Force have knowingly included two contradictory clauses, if you will, in the original solicitation? Yes, that is an interesting question. Uh, they have to go back now and reevaluate the compensation plans, perform that missing evaluation, and see whether the awardee is posing risks to program performance. And it seems to me that the Air Force put in this clause, FAR clause, because they had to, but they really weren't that interested in going forward with a price realism evaluation. Perhaps they were hoping that the new contractor would, in fact, be able to cut costs. But that's not what the FAR clause explains. It's a very interesting, well-written and lengthy FAR clause that explains the government's philosophy about making sure that compensation to professional employees is adequate so that they get the level and quality of services that they need. You know, and sometimes when you include these clauses, you're just including a one-line citation to a FAR section. People sometimes forget that they're there and and don't really uh, study the contents of the clause. In this case, the contractor should have done that as well as the agency because they failed to protest uh, on the price realism issue before proposals were issued. And there's also the background assumption here that the Air Force thought that the new contractor coming in, if there was one, would retain basically the staff doing the work, just working under a new company. So I wonder if in some subtle way the Air Force wanted new people to come in under a new contract and not have the incumbent people stick around. Yeah, that's unclear. It does seem that maybe that was one of the issues. But the assumption in the evaluation of compensation clause is that you want to retain people who've got understanding of the program and the necessary skills. I have to imagine that qualified metrologists are not all that common and might be difficult to fill slots like that if they become vacant, especially if they're not familiar with what the Air Force's particular needs are in that area. Well, I don't know the metrological metrics either, but what happens now that the protest has been sustained? Does it switch over to Bionetics or do they have to start over? Well, the Air Force has to reevaluate the compensation plans. And if the awardee's compensation is lower than the incumbents or there's a significant gap there, that could endanger the contract award. But then you've got to see what the other vendors have done in that area. So the question is, is, is the 18% price difference between the protester and the uh, awardee, something that is reflected in professional compensation, and if so, does it cause some risks here that uh, should be evaluated? Joe Petrillo is a procurement attorney with Smith Pactor McWhorter. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. 
phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers as others call them every day. 
and you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment. And it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.